Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, in case we haven't met, my name is Josh Mutter. I'm the lead pastor here. I would uh, normally have a name tag on, like we're asking you to, but uh, it seems mine fell off. Anybody else having adhesive issues with their name tags? We got a batch of name tags that appear to not have gotten the memo that their job is to stick to things. Um, we've had supply chain issues with these, of all things, okay? And so we are endeavoring to have better name tags in the future. We, are, we, have, it, we have some in order. I signed off at the expenses this morning, so we should be good for that. Anyways, it's good to be able to be here together this morning, and maybe if your name tag falls off, it just becomes an opportunity to remember how to have a conversation without name tags where you say, hello, my name is, and what is yours? Um, and we can be gracious with each other about that. Have you ever been in a situation where it feels like everybody else around you knows something and you're the odd person out? You ever found yourself in a situation like that? I think we probably all have. Uh, what, I think when that happens, we can often have this sense of embarrassment that we don't know what feels like everybody else knows or understands, right? Well, this happened to me a few weekends ago when I was watching the NHL All-Star Game, of all things. And uh, this year, as a part of them trying to engage a broader audience, they were including some celebrities, and they had these celebrities front and center. And I recognized most of them. I mean, there was uh, Justin Bieber, there was Michael Buble, there was an actor named Will Arnett. I knew these folks. But then there was another celebrity who I had no idea who she was. And because she was up front and center at the NHL All-Star Game, I thought... I should know this, shouldn't I? And I had this, even though there was nobody else around me, by the way, I had this sense of embarrassment that I didn't know who this person was. Well, later on that day, we were out for dinner. Um, we were out for dinner with some uh, families from my son's hockey team, and up on the TV at the, at the restaurant, this person popped up again. And at first, there was this mumbled, like, whisper, like, who is this going around? Because they're all a group of people in my age group. And, we, and then we realized that collectively, we had no idea who this person was. And my guess is if you are in my age bracket and you don't have teenagers in your life, you probably don't know who this is. And a bunch of you younger folks are like, you are so old right now. And I Googled who it is. Her name is Tate McRae, and this is the only picture that I'm allowed to show on a Sunday morning. That's what I found out. <laughs> you know, here's the thing. In life, we will be tempted to think that we are the only ones who don't get something. But the reality is that we are rarely ever the only person that feels like we are in the dark. Let me repeat that. In life, we are going to be tempted to think that we are the only ones who don't get something, but the reality is that we are rarely ever the only ones in the dark. This morning, we're starting a new teaching series, and we're going to discuss something uh, that, for some of us, we might not feel like we really understand, at least not like we should. We, 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 we might not understand it, and we're pretty sure everybody else around us in this room knows what we're going to be talking about, but we, and we're the only ones who might not get it. See, as we approach Easter, we might know that the right, the, the right answer is Jesus died for our sins. That's why Jesus died. He died for my sins. But at the same time, some of us are too embarrassed to admit that we don't really understand what that means. And maybe it isn't just a matter of embarrassment. Maybe we don't feel like it's actually safe to admit that we don't know what that means. But let me remind us again that we are rarely, only, we are only, rarely ever the only person who feels like we are in the dark. And last year, as we approached Easter, and I, I, I declared, I think, last Easter that we were going to do this sermon series. So this is the furthest I've ever thought about a sermon series in my life. Because last year, as we approached Easter, I remember hearing some people saying, I'm really not sure I understand why Jesus had to die. 
And so this year, we are going to do some mourning together over the next couple weeks. And so over the next few weeks, we are going to explore this by looking at some different ways that, uh, that Christians throughout history have sought to understood something that's called the atonement. And in case you don't know the meaning of this word, here's a one-sentence definition. The atonement is the work of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection to reconcile humanity with God. And so over the next few weeks, we are going to explore what this means, is, and my hope is that at the end, when we get to Good Friday and Easter, that we will feel that we have a richer understanding and a deeper appreciation for what Jesus did for us. Now, as a bit of a disclaimer, I think that this series is going to make some of us feel uncomfortable. And the reason why I say this is that over the next few weeks, we are going to look at some different ways that we could think about Jesus' death, and, and all of them are supported by Scripture, and all of them have been a part of historic Christian thinking. But the thing is, many of us may not have been aware of these different ways of thinking, and different ways of thinking can be unsettling, can't they? In fact, for some of us, what we've been taught is that there is only one right way to think about this and, uh, and that we have to be wary of all other ways. And in fact, right now, you might have little warning bells going off in your head being like, is this guy going to lead us astray? Maybe I won't come back next week or the next couple of weeks just in case. If this represents us this morning, let me be clear that I'm not asking you, I'm not asking anybody to give up on something that has helped us make sense of our faith and is a part of our faith story. What I am asking us to do, though, is to listen for something that helps us develop a deeper appreciation for Jesus and what Jesus has done for us. Now, for others of us, I think we're going to find this series really helpful, maybe even freeing. You know, for some of us, we've never had somebody explain, explain why Jesus had to die. We've never had somebody explain that. Or maybe if we had, the explanation that we got was not very satisfactory and didn't really resonate with us. And as a result, we might find ourselves in this season approaching Easter having this feeling like we're at a bit of a crossroads. That if we don't figure this out, then maybe this Jesus thing isn't for us. And so if this rep represents us this morning, my hope is that over the next few weeks, what we talk about over the next few weeks will help us grow in our understanding of what Jesus did and will inspire us to grow deeper in a relationship with him. Now, if we were to have a big idea for this series, and I do have a big idea for this series, it would go like this. What Jesus accomplished on the cross is so big that we need different perspectives on the atonement to appreciate what Jesus has done for us and for our world. Now, that's a lot wordier than I like for a big idea, but that's about the best I could come up with this morning. Um, and this will kind of shape our teaching time over the next couple weeks. Now, as we... As we as I thought about how are we going to organize this series and what we're going to talk about today, I decided that I'm going to start with the perspective on the atonement that will likely be the perspective that most of us are, know the best. And again, let's keep in mind what the atonement is, that the atonement is the work of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection to reconcile humanity with God. That's what we mean when we talk about the atonement. Now, as we think about what this means, let me read two passages that I think will get us thinking about what it is we're going to talk about this morning. The first is from Isaiah chapter 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that, has brought us, that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This passage emphasizes our collective tendency to stray from God's ways, but that despite this, Jesus would become our substitute to bear the consequences of our sin. 
And these verses describe how the suffering and sacrifice of Jesus is, uh, is the means in which we can have peace with God. Peace comes through Jesus' suffering. Here's another passage for us to read this morning. We're gonna re- this one's going to come up again a little bit later from Romans chapter 5. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were enemies, we, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through his death, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Again, this passage emphasizes the idea that, that Jesus died for the sins of humanity, bearing the punishment and the wrath of God on behalf of sinners, making it possible for our relationship with God to be transformed from enemies to friends. Now, these two passages of Scripture uh, align with what today we are going to call the payment model of the atonement. Traditionally, this has been called penal substitutionary atonement. Payment model just kind of rolls off the tongue a little bit better. And it actually describes fairly well what this model is all about, that Jesus paid for, the, for our sin debt. And I don't want to say penal substitutionary atonement 50 times this morning. Um, But for this morning, our definition of this payment model can go like this. Jesus bore the punishment for our sins through his death, satisfying the demands of God's justice and and resulting in forgiveness and reconciliation with God for those who believe in Jesus. Now, for me, this perspective of the atonement, and we're going to unpack this over the next few moments here, it represents the way of talking about Jesus and Jesus' death that was common in my upbringing. In the kids' programs I attended, at the youth retreats I I went to, and the evangelism training that I I participated in, this represented what I was familiar with growing up. And my guess is it represents what many of us experienced growing up if we grew up in the church as well, too. And so let's explore this together this morning. Years ago, I was the victim in a car accident And uh, I say victim because the other driver broke a lot of rules, a lot of laws in the process here. The vehicle was stolen. Uh, They were driving under the influence. And they were driving too fast and on the wrong side of the road when they hit us. They broke a lot of rules, a lot of laws here, right? Now, at first, I was just grateful to not be injured. But later, as I was sitting in court waiting to tell my side of what happened, waiting to testify, I found myself looking at this individual and having this thought, you need to pay for this. Because in my mind, he had broken the law, he had caused harm, and he needed to pay a penalty. That was how justice was going to be done in those circumstances. Now, I tell this story because I think that our sense of justice and our understanding of laws and penalties are often a part of how we understand and make sense of the atonement. And we can see this connection in Scripture. And, you know, in how the Apostle Paul discusses sin and sin's consequences, he says this, for the wages of sin is death. You know, the pay, this payment model of the atonement says that, that sin is an infraction against God, God and God's laws, and as a result, there is a penalty that we are required to pay to satisfy God. But unfortunately, we can't make that payment on our own. But the good news is that Jesus willingly steps in and he pays it on our, on our behalf. Now, while we can see that in Scripture, it really wasn't until the 11th century that somebody sat down and laid the groundwork for understanding the atonement this way. In the 11th century, we meet a man named Anselm who wanted to demonstrate the justice and the rationality of the atonement. 
And he argued that, that human sin creates a, a, a debt owed to God's honor and God's justice. And according to Anselm, only a perfect person, that's with G, perfect being, Jesus, could offer a satisfactory payment for this death. And so Jesus' death, which was a voluntary act, satisfies God's demands for justice and it reconciles humanity with God and restoring God his honor, the honor that was due God. And for Anselm, this was a logical way of explaining what Jesus did on the cross. And it very much reflects the hunger for justice that existed in Anselm's time and also reflected the, the reality that honor was a thing in, in the 11th century. Honor was a thing that needed to be satisfied if it had been offended. Now, centuries later, Anselm's thinking was picked up in the era of the Protestant Reformation, and the Reformers would emphasize that, you know what, God isn't just offended by our sin, but he's mad at us for our sin. That the debt that Jesus paid went to satisfy God's anger, God's wrath, and that our sin makes God so angry that he cannot possibly uh, accept us in, our, in his presence, and that what is necessary is a payment. It's not just a payment, actually, it's a punishment. And somebody needs to pay the penalty for our sin, and that penalty is death, and that is what Jesus does for us. And since then, this doctrine has continued to be developed with the emphasis on Jesus as our substitute and his death satisfying God's justice on our behalf. Now, as we think about this payment model and what it means, I, I want to walk through five kind of basic points of the payment model of the atonement as well as some pieces of scripture that go with it. And, and if you're paying attention, you might notice that these five pieces of scripture, they all come from the book of Romans, and they're a part of what has been called the Roman road to salvation, which is a way that some of us uh, grew up understanding, hey, how do you explain what it means to follow Jesus, or how do you come to faith? You can walk through the book of Romans using these key verses, and it will walk people on this, towards this path towards salvation. And so these are the key verses that we'll see this morning. Uh, this payment way of describing the atonement starts with the idea that humans are inherently sinful and as such have, have violated God's moral and spiritual law. That's the starting point. And a key verse for this is, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's a verse that many of us are, are familiar with. Now from here we, we move to the idea that this penalty for sin, uh, that the penalty for sin is death and eternal separation from God. That this punishment, and this punishment is thought of as being just, it's thought about as being necessary, and, and all because of God's moral perfection or his holiness. And a key verse for this is that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so this verse explains the consequences of sin and then moves us on to our next point, which is that Jesus became the substitute for humanity bearing the penalty of sin in our place. You know, Jesus is the sinless son of God, and he as such, he voluntarily takes upon himself the punishment that humanity, humanity deserved for their sins. Key verse comes from Romans chapter 5. We've already read, read this once. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, this verse emphasizes God's love and, and his grace towards us as Jesus steps in to, to take the place for humanity bearing the punishment. And the result of Jesus' death is that Jesus satisfies the demands of justice and reconciles humanity to God. You know, that Jesus' death uh, serves as the sacrifice to save us from God's anger or God's wrath and God's judgment and makes forgiveness and reconciliation possible. 
Key verses here again come from Romans 5. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Now, this last point is, is our response. You know, those who accept Jesus as their Savior receive the benefits of his sacrifice. You know, because Jesus does what he does on the cross, we, are, we can be made right in our relationship with God and be forgiven and experience eternal life. From Romans chapter 10, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You know, in order for us to receive this gift of salvation, we need to confess or acknowledge who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. And this is available to anybody who wants to receive it. I mean, God's gift of salvation is not hidden. It's made available to us through Jesus. And this is what the Apostle Paul wants us to know. And so these five points summarize the essence of this payment model of the atonement. And I would add that the one thing that, one of the things that this model has going for it is it, it, it feels well organized. It, uh, it, it's logical. It's easy to explain. It goes one, two, three, four, five. There you go. You could write it on a short piece of paper and hand it to friends. People have done that for decades, okay? You could, you could do that. It kind of flows kind of nicely. And I think that's one of the things that appeals about this approach to, or this understanding of the atonement. Now, you've likely heard this story before. Uh, there's a group of, of, of blind men who encounter an elephant for the first time. And they try to understand this, what an elephant is like by touching the different body parts of the elephant. One man feels the elephant's trunk and he describes the elephant as, as being a thick, strong snake. Another touches the elephant's ear and describes it as a large, flat fan. Yet another one feels the elephant's leg and describes it as a sturdy tree trunk. You know, what each man is doing is they are interpreting the elephant based on their perspective and their experience, leading to different descriptions of what they believe this elephant is like. Now, individually, okay, an elephant is not like a snake. An elephant is not like a fan. An elephant is not like a tree trunk. But put together, we begin to have a pretty good description of what an elephant is like. You know, throughout this series, what I, one of the things I'm going to emphasize is that the, the perspectives of the atonement that we're going to talk about can each contribute to an understanding of what God accomplishes through the cross. And if we want the fullest possible understanding of what Jesus did for us and what Jesus has done for the world, then we need to learn to appreciate these di the different ways that Scripture describes this thing that we're calling the atonement. And yes, we might find one of these or maybe two of these more compelling and more helpful than others, and that's okay. But if we can allow ourselves to see uh, the other ways that Jesus' followers have understood and described and, 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 and looked at Scripture to see how the atonement is, is put together, I think we might come to a clearer picture of what Jesus did for us than we would have if we just held on to one all by itself. Now, as we've briefly looked at this payment model, I think it's really good for us to look at some pros and cons, because my guess is some of us are sitting here and we're like, I, I, I can see some cons here, and some of us are like, I really like some of this, okay? And for everything that we talk about over the next couple weeks, we are going to include pros and cons, because none of them are perfect. Because in my opinion, you're looking at, we're trying to explain something big and supernatural, 
in human language. And it's going to take a bunch of different perspectives for us to get a handle on it. And so here are some cons of understanding the atonement as payment. We're starting with the cons, by the way, because I want to end on a positive note, okay? Because I think that's better for us. We're going to end positively. We're going to end with some application that comes out of the positive stuff. So we're going to start with the cons, okay? And you'll notice that there are less cons than pros, and I did that on purpose, okay? We're going to end positively, people, okay? Cons of understanding the atonement as payment. First, it has a limited understanding of atonement. It really does. You know, this perspective tends to focus primarily on individual forgiveness. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved from my sin. And it, and it ignores the beauty and the richness of the biblical redemption story that we find in the Bible that is so much bigger than the forgiveness of individual sin. Second, it can be understood as promoting violence and retributive justice. You know, critics of this perspective argue that the idea that God requires the violent death of Jesus as a necessary payment for sin, that it reinforces cycles of violence and retribution rather than promoting forgiveness, reconciliation, and restorative justice. Critics have suggested that this portrayal of the atonement has contributed to a culture of violence and has been used to justify harmful punitive practices. Third, it appears as you work your way through this, or maybe as you've experienced this, that God's love, and, just, God's love and, and justice, they seem to conflict with one another. You know, at times, this perspective has emphasized God's, God's justice over his love, as God has been seen as a stern judge who is waiting and requiring uh, punishment for sin. And the emphasis at times has been on God's wrath and his judgment where things like his unconditional love and his mercy are overshadowed or they get forgotten. And as a result, the focus can tend to be on like how terrible a human being we are and how much God can't stand to be around us. And as a bit of an aside here, I want to acknowledge that some of us have been harmed by how this has been taught. You know, and what we've ended up internalizing is that we are worthless, broken, terrible human beings who are unworthy of good things. You know, for some of us, this has shaped our lives in some really tragic ways. And I want to name this, and I want to say, if this is you, I see you, and I think we can do better. Now, these are just three critiques of this position. And let me be honest, we don't have time to go into it, but there will be responses to each of these critiques by proponents of this position. Uh, but for now, let's, let's turn and let, let's look at the positives of this and, and then look about how we're going to apply this. So pros of understanding the atonement as payment. The first is it really does have strong biblical support. The others do too, but this one, it, it, you can find it in the Bible quite easily. Advocates of this position will point that this perspective offers a faithful and a comprehensive way of understanding much of what we read in the Bible about Jesus' atoning work including the sacrificial language, including the, the mentions of the ransom. Ransom. Actually, we're going to talk about ransom next week, so we're going to kind of go this way with this. Um, and it, it provides a framework for understanding the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah's redemptive work. It gives a way of understanding and interpreting these pieces of Scripture. The second is it, it underscores the seriousness of sin. You know, this perspective reminds us of the presence of sin in our lives and the reality that sin is a destructive presence that needs to be dealt with. And not only that, it reminds us of God's holiness and how our sin affects our relationship with God. And so this perspective very much keeps that front and center. Third, it offers us the assurance of salvation. 
for some of us, and we're going to come back to this in the application, for some of us, this is really key. You know, the emphasis of faith in Jesus and that fact that Jesus does everything necessary to make salvation possible means that we can be confident in our salvation. And as a result, we can rest assured that what Jesus did was effective in bringing forgiveness and reconciliation into our lives. Fourth, it encourages a personal response. I mean, this payment model encourages us to respond to Jesus for ourselves as it has a really important emphasis on repentance and faith in Jesus that, and believing that what Jesus did was for us and that we need to respond to that. Now, understanding some of these pros, I think, naturally leads us to, to see a few different ways that we can respond. And the first, and I've used this in so many sermon as an application thing, okay? So maybe it's just is life advice from Pastor Josh here. We just need to be honest with ourselves more often than we actually are. And in this case, we need to be honest with ourselves about the presence of sin in our lives and the reality that sin has consequences. And this isn't really easy to do. In fact, it's hard work, and many of us have worked really, really, really hard to downplay or avoid the reality that there are things in our lives that are not the way that they ought to be. But in order for us to find health in whatever relationships that we're in, it means that we need to stop pretending that things are fine when they're not and to recognize that we have a role to play in, in how things are and that we bear a responsibility for the state of our relationships. And in terms of our relationship with God, we recognize that our sin puts us at odds with God and that something needs to be done to make things right, but it starts with an acknowledgement that sin is even present in our lives. And so the first step is even just to acknowledge, just to be honest with ourselves and be like, yeah, things aren't great. There are habits, there are, there are, there are behaviors that I am not okay with that shouldn't be in my life that are causing harm. But we have to start with this, and I think this perspective encourages us to, to start there. A second is to, to accept that we've been forgiven. You know, many of us walk around with, with feelings of guilt and shame that just kind of are weighing heavily on us. Uh, and we have this sense that if anybody knew what we had done, then nobody would love us or care for us and that we would be forever like banished somehow. And we carry that into our spiritual lives too. But this perspective on the atonement offers us the freedom, the freedom, a sense of freedom because, you know, what Jesus did was for us and it has dealt with all of our sin and we have been forgiven and we can have a sense of that, that forgiveness is real, it is genuine, it is lasting, it's not going anywhere. There's a sense of confidence there. And so there's freedom and an, a sense of authenticity that we can live in the authenticity of our forgiveness. Now, overcoming guilt and shame is not something that we just do like this, but as we follow Jesus, you know what Jesus does? Jesus reminds us of his love. He reminds us of, of, of his forgiveness. And as we spend time with him, that narrative will become increasingly true in our lives and will increasingly define who we are. Lastly, I think that this payment model of understanding the atonement um, invites us to apply our forgiveness to our relationships with others. You know, one of the dangers of this payment model is that it, it become, the focus becomes very much on me. What I did wrong, I need, I, need, uh, I need forgiveness. But that me focus would be a misunderstanding of what it's really all about. 
Instead, as we look at the life and teachings of Jesus, and, and we've talked about this before, Jesus tells a parable where he, where he describes somebody who was forgiven of a whole lot, who turns around and goes, and he refuses to give forgiven, forgiveness to somebody else, right? We've, we, we talked about this, I think, a couple weeks ago, even. And the meaning of that, of that parable is, it should, stand, you know, should jump out at us that that's not right. As we look at this payment model of the atonement, we should be reminded that, that we are, as we have received forgiveness and compassion from God, that we are to mirror that in our relationships with others. That we are invited to look outside of ourselves. Yes, we have been forgiven from sin, and now we can look outside of ourselves to the people who are in our lives and to pause and to think, who do I need to forgive? Or who in my life needs to experience some life-changing compassion, and how can I offer that? This payment model of the atonement invites us to look outside of ourselves and to share what we have received from God. Anyways, that's a whirlwind on a really big theological concept, okay? And I may have raised more questions than I answered, and I'm okay with that, okay? We're going to pick up on this next week as we look at what has been called, uh, the technical term is Christus Victor. Feel free to Google that if you want. Uh, the, the layman's terms are, we're going to talk a little bit about Narnia and the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe because it shows up there, okay? Uh, and again, my hope is that as we explore this, as we've talked today, that you might have found language to help understand your own faith journey, you know, maybe there's something that's been an ache in your heart where, like, something's not right. How do I go about this? What do I do? Or how do I understand? Maybe you found language today that helps, under, helps you understand a little bit more, a little bit more clearly what Jesus did for you. Well, next week we're going to build on that and we're going to explore just another way of looking at the same question, another way of exploring the atonement. And my hope is that by the time we're done here, that we have a broader appreciation that we see, we see this picture emerge of what Jesus did and how that has changed our lives, how that can change the people sitting beside us, how it can change our neighborhoods, how it changes our world. And this is just, just the beginning of this journey together. Please join me in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. And Lord, we want to say thank you for this time that we've gathered together, the time that we've been able to sing and to pray and just to be in the same space as one another is something that we need, Lord. Too often we go through life feeling alone and for this brief point, God, we realize that we are surrounded by others and that your love is present because we are with one another. Lord, if we don't take anything from this time together this morning, might we know your presence and your love because of this time with others, with one another. Lord Jesus, this morning we want to say thank you that you indeed came to die for our sins. Lord, we recognize that there are things in our lives that aren't how they ought to be. And Lord, that uh, we have tried really hard to make things right, to just uh, to be good, to do the right thing. And we regularly trip our, get tripped up. And Lord, that has impacted our relationships with the people that we love. And we recognize that it's, it impacted our relationship with you. Lord, this morning we want to give thanks for the fact that you, Jesus, have made it possible for us to be forgiven. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to live in the reality of that forgiveness. Lord, for those of us who are feeling shame and guilt, Lord, would you relieve us of that? 
Lord, may we experience that as we confess where we have gone wrong, may we experience your peace washing over us, and may we, we just know that you have forgiven us, and may that, that sense of forgiveness give us life and vitality and set us free. Lord, for others of us this morning, there are relationships that just aren't right, and Lord, we've been withholding forgiveness. Lord Jesus, would you help us to generously give what you have given us to others? Lord, in everything this week, we're just, again, grateful for your love. And we ask that the story of your love would go with us. That would, that would stick. Lord, in, in whatever we face at school, at work, at home, Lord, that we would rest knowing that you love us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.